Hey, before we get into today's episode, I have a favor to ask, actually. So we are now over a year in with Scratch. We've recorded about 50 episodes, and by the time you're listening to this, potentially more. It's been amazing, and I've really appreciated the feedback and support from you all. But I really want to try with the second year to get Scratch in front of a wider audience. And so I'm asking you, if you've been listening for a while, or if you're new, if you find this content valuable, if you're supporting what we're trying to do, I would really appreciate it if you could just take a second, press pause on this episode, either leave a review or share this episode and scratch with someone else who you think would find it valuable. It would mean a ton to me and to us as we're really trying to build the audience and the rival brand and get this content in front of more people that we think and that you think can help. Thank you so much for the continued support. Now on to the episode. The power shift has changed. Consumers are are setting the the course now. You know, they're basically saying we have so many choices. We have so there is so much competition in every product category that we're considering. You know, there is absolutely no reason for me to stick with a brand that you know doesn't play by my rules. Um, that's never been the case before in history. And you know, e-commerce kind of built that um, evening of the playing field and. And allowed, you know, brand new upstart D2Cs to compete for, you know, my eyeballs right next to, you know, kind of the the category um, mainstays. So that's not going to change. And, you know, ultimately consumers are going to have to, um, you know, basically tell us what they want and we're going to have to follow suit. I'm Eric Fulweiler and this is Scratch bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey everybody, I'm Jenna Cummings. I'm one of the co-founders here at Rival filling in for Eric this week on Scratch. This week we have a really exciting guest that I was pretty thrilled to talk to, uh, Margot Conrose, the CMO of Sky.io. Uh, I've known Sky for a little while, and you may have known them back when they were called Kenshu or Kenshu Search. Um, Margo's here to talk to us this week about a little bit about that rebrand, actually, that Kenshu and now Sky has gone through, um, and how that really has kind of been a big marker for them, going from being a platform primarily focused on digital ad, uh, ad buying more towards being an on-the-channel marketing kind of enablement tool. Margo's going to talk a little bit about the process and how they talk to different marketers um, to kind of guide you know that rebrand and really what they have on offer. Um, I've been a big fan, you know, really since they were Kenshu uh, and really excited to see them actually do some of the things um, with their platform representative of a lot of the changes that we see in consumer behavior and how they're helping marketers really react to the marketing landscape, not just of now and, and the COVID environment, but what they kind of think things are going to happen, you know, overall in the, in the marketing landscape. Um, really good conversation with Margot. Really excited to have her. Can't wait for you guys to have a listen. Margot. Welcome to Scratch. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm super excited that you're here. Um, everybody, this is Margot Conrose. Um, she's the CMO of Sky uh, that I've known actually for a long time since it was Kenshu Analytics. That kind of dates me in my career a little bit. Um, but very excited to talk to you today. Um, let's get started just a little bit. Um, kind of our, you know, our usual opening opening line uh, is a little bit kind of uh, what are the brands that you're obsessed with kind of in your role as a CMO and who are you looking at these days? 
Uh, great question. I am basically obsessed with brands. So I think um, I always look at everything. I'm, I'm a B2B marketer in my current role, and I always look at everything like from a consumer lens. I'm very curious about myself as a consumer. So all the brands that I love are like big popular consumer brands, or at least consumer brands. Say one of them is a big one, um, Spotify. To me, like Spotify has done so many interesting things that we just take for granted that we don't even talk about. Um, you know, I remember, first of all, I remember Pandora, when Pandora kind of like ruled the, the streaming music space. I feel like maybe it was like 2012, 2013, I don't know. Um, and I was, a, I was a customer of that and I thought it was super cool. And then Spotify came in and it was like everybody just forgot about everybody else. And I, I had like a brief stint, I will say too, as, a, as an Apple Music subscriber and it didn't compare. So what does Spotify do that's so cool? Um, for me, like the most telling thing, like they do great advertising. Don't get me wrong. I think their campaign or that they do at the end of the year where it's like, this was what you listened to this year. And then you can share it with friends and it says all this stuff about you. Like to me, that is just brilliant on so many levels. Uh, when you talk about just like getting your customers involved in your marketing. But the biggest thing that they've done that, that makes me love them so much is they bring people together. So it's one thing to have like an individual connection to a brand, but it's another thing to have like, you know, discussions around a brand all the time. And for me and my kids, Spotify has been this like big family um, bonding kind of thing because, you know, my, my kids are different ages, they're, they're older adolescents and they send me music and they get me listening to new stuff and I send them stuff and no matter where they are, because now a couple of them are in college, you know, they're sending me songs to listen to that they know I'm going to like, and we have shared playlists. And it's just like, I don't know, it's so much more than than an individual, you know, experience streaming music on the train in the morning. So um, that's that's real branding, you know, when, when you actually can seep your way well beyond your commercial offering into um, a, a deep connection with your customers. And for me, they, they've just done that in a way that nothing else in my life has right now. Yeah. I love that, that collaborative, like kind of music function. You know, we do, my friends and I do shared playlists on Spotify all the time. Like that's always really fun. Although then I like really struggle to remember like, what was the theme of like when we were putting these random songs on there and the playlist name is absolutely no indication of that whatsoever. But yeah, I agree. I really love, like I say, their end of year um, campaigns. I mean, I think that, like I say, it gets talked about a lot about like what, like, a smart use of data and insights actually looks like and that that campaign is just the best example far and away of like using what you know about your customers to really like differentiate yourself in branding. Um, so huge fan, definitely agree. Um, and I'm sure, like I said, that your perspective, like I say, on the smart use of data has got to be pretty interesting given um, kind of where you are, given given Sky. Um, like I said, one of the, the first things like I said to talk about, I think is kind of, you know, first, how is the rebrand going? Like I say, I'm I'm familiar with uh, with Sky from the Kenshu days, um, back when it was you know mostly a, a search uh, search you know buying and bidding tool and functionality. But you're so much more than that now. Um, I'm super excited for this conversation because again, I think that um, you're such a good example of how the ad tech space has kind of evolved. Um, but let's start with just kind of the rebrand. I think you're what about a year on now from the switch to from Kenshu to Sky. So what was kind of the impetus behind that? How's it going? We you know, what kind of things have you found throughout that process? Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. I mean, you, you articulated it probably better than I can. You know, you know us as the Kenshu of your search, you know, maybe a search bid management tool. And we're so much more now 
Um, you know, and and hence hence the need to rebrand into a name that you know kind of shed our um, old presumptions about what we were capable of and where we fit in in the lives of, of big advertisers and marketers. Um, you know, I've done a lot of rebrands over the course of my career, and this was definitely the most challenging because we were you know we had a lot of brand equity as Kenshu um, in our space. You know, we might not be a household name to everyone, but if you work in digital, if you work in marketing, we were more or less a household name. Um, and, you know, it's not an easy or, or small or light decision to say, we're going to let go of that and take a risk on, on something new where we're going to have to, you know, kind of re-educate the market um, and build that, that equity back up. But we did it because we had gotten to this place where, we started out, as you said, in you know the world of paid search. We had kind of always been like on the cusp of what new digital ad channel um, was going to pop, and and also fit our internal like set of criteria around the type of advertising that we wanted to support. Um, so you know, paid social um, came into the picture, and we worked really closely with Facebook on on actually developing their um, their network in the early days um, and saw a ton of adoption around there. So soon, you know, soon we were search and social. Um, and then at some point, you know, Apple search ads really w was taking off as well. And we um, we acquired a company that kind of helped get us into the world of, of mobile app marketing um, so that we could support that, you know, natively as well. Um, and then like the biggest thing that happened in the last few years was retail media. Um, you know, when Amazon started started offering advertising and, and it just took off like gangbusters and and um, so many other retailers followed suit and still so many are continuing to trying to do so. Um, it was an entirely new ad channel that really kind of took us to another level. Um, so, you know, behind all of that, um, we, we've also been working on connecting the data parts that you know, kind of separate all these platforms from each other, um, and make it hard for for marketers to kind of see outside of the the walls of each of these you know kind of closed ecosystems. And when you totaled it all up, we felt like we're not Kenshu anymore. You know, we're not this like tactical, um, you know, kind of ad tech campaign management tool with some cool optimization, you know, kind of flares. Um, we, we really are being looked to from our clients for more strategic input for, you know, kind of insight and, um, and help managing, you know, whatever, whatever ad channels they needed to manage that were new um, with, while de-risking kind of that, um, that, that adventure into a new channel, right? Um, and I tried as, a, <laughs> as the head of marketing for years to, like, rebrand without rebranding, you know, to um, kind of tell the story of, of who we were through thought leadership um, and, you know, kind of weave it into every sales pitch. But at the end of the day, when you have a lot of marketers who have been working in the field for a long time, like they feel like they know the tools, they know who you are, they know what, you know, whether they need you, whether they don't need you, what to expect from you. Um, and I, it just that this kind of like changing perceptions without changing our, you know, the fabric of our identity just like wasn't working. It wasn't taking. So we thought, you know what, like, let's start a new chapter for the company. Um, let's let's go so far. And I remember when our CEO texted me and he's like, you know what, I would go so far as to change the name of the company. I'm like, wow, because that's, you know, 
That's big. That's really big. Yeah. And then it went very quickly from like idea to like, and can we do it within like three weeks? Like, <laughs> no big deal. Sure. Cool. Um, no, no big deal. So, you know, it, it was kind of a, which is, it, it's good. I, I really love deadlines. I hate things that are open-ended and, you know, give you a chance to over, overthink or overinvest or um, second guess. So, so we went for it. Um, and it's, it's gone very well um, in that, you know, by our measures, which were, can we change perceptions about what the company is? Um, you know, we, we did kind of like a before and after brand study and saw that, yes, actually, you know, we're, how we're, the words that we're associated with, the value that we're associated with as Sky is actually materially different than it was as Kenshu. Um, you know, kind of the, it sounds technical, but like the budget levels that we're associated with, you know, as Sky are different than, you know, they were as Kenshu, which allows us to do things like, shake up our commercialization and, you know, kind of um, figure out how we can best go to market in a way that's going to serve, you know, both both our, our clients and our business. So it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. And I will say, too, internally, this, is, this will be the end of my monologue, you know, <laughs> Internally, um, sometimes you need to you need to change things in order to you know kind of shake up um, shake things up morale wise and the way people you know who have been been with the company a long time kind of think about the company and and our modus operandi and and um, I think it did that right it was like not just for the rest of the world but for us as a company set new expectations set a new bar uh, set different kind of KPIs. Um, internally for, for how we look at ourselves and, and how we're doing. So um, I feel like it's a success story. I guess time will tell. Well, yeah. I mean, just that point you made again about, you know, being associated with different words again, like, you know, in, in my experience as someone who is again, you know, familiar with your brand where it's like, you know, during the Kenshu days, like definitely, like I say, the words were like I say, bidding, as you said, bidding optimizations, you know, working with like ad tech, like more like, you know, kind of buying a tactical things. Whereas now I definitely have kind of the impact, like analytics, like more kind of, you know, maybe MarTech as opposed to kind of ad tech kind of, kind of space a little bit. But one of the ones that I think is, is really interesting um, is the, the walled garden uh, terminology. Because again, I think, like I say, in, in the early days when I first became familiar with it, um, you know, there was a lot of conversation around, like, say, the, the walled garden of the Google ecosystem, the Facebook, like, kind of, like, walled garden. But, um, you know, especially, you know, over the last like, couple years, you know, with your point, you know, to the, the rise of retail media, you know, just how big... Google has gotten, Facebook is not just Facebook anymore, it's meta and all the properties kind of within within meta. Do you guys still think about, um, you know, different, I guess, like kind of advertising ecosystems as walled gardens? I know, again, that one of the words that you guys use now to talk about yourselves is omnichannel. Um, and have you thought, again, about kind of the distinctions between like walled gardens versus, you know, really how you're trying to connect all the dots? How has that kind of changed and evolved with the landscape for you guys? I mean, it's it's definitely been a pivotal two years in that regard. You know, I I, I think um, you know, first of all, when when COVID hit and and so many businesses were hurt um, by all the kind of trickle down effects of it, um, our business, I'll use my kids' terminology here, popped off uh, because because you know marketing dollars were scarce, right? And when, when you've really got to preserve budget and you've got to be held, you know, very much accountable to it, 
um, you're going to put it into into channels that are easy, you know, easy to measure and close to the bottom line. Um, you can call them performance channels if you want. I, I don't really care what you call them. Um, they end up going to these these platforms, which are you know the walled gardens that you're talking to, and, and that happened. Dollars went away from you know kind of traditional, um, you know upper funnel like sort of long t long term um, marketing and advertising channels, and they they funneled right into um, into the channels that we supported. Um, so. That happened, you know, that, that helped our business, obviously. That's that's always nice to be on the receiving end of that. But, you know, ultimately, I think it also forced a, kind of a new behavior in some of the bigger companies like, you know, kind of traditional CPGs whose business, you know, was actually primarily offline and were trying very rapidly to figure out online, um, both in terms of, you know, kind of sales and distribution channels, but also in terms of, you know, connecting with the customer. Um, as you know, Jenna, you know, from your background in ad tech, like digital, you're, you're very, you're very close to the end customer. You know, you're not putting out a billboard, um, and wondering if somebody walked by it and what they thought and felt you're able to actually, you know, kind of get very rapid feedback. Um, <clears throat> and, and this was something that, you know, some of the digital native companies, the, the D2Cs of the world, it's, it was like their, you know, their, um, bread and butter. But for some of the big kind of CPGs and, and companies that were newer to the digital world, um, it was a skill they, they had to hone. So um, we worked with them a lot and it was kind of like this journey for them, you know, from, you know, open web and traditional advertising channels to walled garden advertising. But what they were really trying to do was go from, you know, kind of layers and layers and layers between themselves and their brands and their end customers to, you know, a much more direct connection with their customers. Um, so back to your original question about, like, you know, how, how have walled gardens and kind of perception of them and everything changed? You know, I think they went from um, being looked at as these, these tech titans with evil, you know, kind of undertones as... As, as kind of like very, more more practically just where customers are and where you can, you know, kind of commune with them in a more direct fashion and learn from them and respond to them, um, which, you know, is what advertising is made of today. So there's been a little bit of a perception shift. That's not to say that there haven't also been, you know, you know regulatory um, actions and things, and there's always, you know, kind of antitrust uh, stuff um, kind of percolating, right? That never seems to really do anything, but makes us think someone's doing something. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's more of like the the advertiser landscape has embraced these environments for what they are, which is ultimately where customers have chosen to not just be, but engage with brands by choice, you know, um, intentionally and interact and ultimately even transact. And as a result, they're good places to market. So we're just seeing a lot of this kind of like swell of, of you know, behavior and um, dollars moving from, you know, the open web to the walled gardens. And our play, like where we sit and, you know, yes, we, we do call ourselves omnichannel is, is in this position of actually being like really, really close to the walled gardens and in depth in our 
capabilities on them, but not being one of them. Like we don't own the media. We don't really care where marketers spend their next dollar. We have no vested interest in whether it goes to Meta or to Google um, as long as it's working for them. So we want to be this, you know, kind of third party neutral place that can help you market across them and kind of break down some of the walls. Um, or at least, I, I mean, I always, I always put it as like, you know, maybe we're not going to break the walls of the walled gardens because they're there because they consume, consumers want them. They protect, they protect them. Um, but maybe they can be glass and not brick walls. You know, maybe, maybe there's some windows that we can kind of pop into them. Um, and that's where we're really focused. Yeah, and I think that you know that kind of like insight is going to be you know hugely important, especially because you know you know mentioning kind of you know the the changes in thinking and how some of the big CPG brands are thinking about these things and you know long term versus kind of like short term uh, thinking. Do you have you guys seen or do you think that um, you know some of these changes are kind of like here to stay versus some of them that may have been you know kind of a little bit short lived like during COVID? Um, like I say, I agree that you know a lot of especially retail media, which is so exciting, is that like for for big CPG companies, that is such an interesting place to like learn more about how your customers transact and really create that as kind of a valuable experience with people like where they're actually where they need that input to value. Um, but you know, I know that there's been questions about like is that e-commerce trend that we saw an explosion of during COVID is that like reversing? Are consumers going back into brick and mortar versus kind of like e-commerce? Do you guys have like a POV yet on you know what some of the changes you know that happened during COVID? COVID are kind of maybe like here to stay versus which ones are, you know what, we'll respond to this right now, but we're not going to make long-term decisions about the business based on, on this kind of consumer behavior. I mean, I think, I think the changes are here to stay. That doesn't mean that brick and mortar business is going to die. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're going to go back to more hybrid models in every area of our lives, um, including as consumers. But I don't think the the advertising trends are going to reverse. You know, I think there it was a big reckoning for for the industry um, to have to actually pay attention to what was bugging consumers because the law told them to. I mean, twenty years of misbehavior, and all of a sudden, you know, consumers are raising their hands and being like, "Can you stop?" And you know, and suddenly, and suddenly, you know, we have no choice but but to change. And and what I'm seeing actually from a lot of the advertising industry is a desire to work around versus adapt. Um, how can we figure out a new way to do the things that were pissing people off instead of not doing them? Um, and and that that will that will run its course, and you know, it'll have some limited success. Um, but ultimately, the, the power shift has changed. Consumers are, are setting the, the course now. You know, they're basically saying we have so many choices. We have so there is so much competition in every product category that we're considering. You know, there is absolutely no reason for me to stick with a brand that, you know, doesn't play by my rules. Um, that's never been the case before in history. And, you know, e-commerce kind of built that um, evening of the playing field and and allowed, you know, brand new upstart D2Cs to compete for, you know, my eyeballs right next to, you know, kind of the, the category um, mainstays. So that's not going to change. And, you know, ultimately, consumers are going to have to, um, you know, 
basically tell us what they want and we're going to have to follow suit. I will say, you know, I, I think all this data privacy stuff will, um, will kind of mellow a bit because it's, it's generational. You know, this aversion to things like cookies to the point where, you know, um, where there's just like a blanket, you know, there's these blanket rules that are kind of being rolled out. Uh, that comes from not understanding what, how your data is being used and where it's being used and how it's, you know, who's got access to it. And from not understanding, there's kind of an assumptive paranoia um, that I don't think younger generations have. Um, I'll tell you my, like, teensy sample size is, um, I gave a lecture at uh, my son's high school to a senior class that was studying media and data privacy. It was like a senior elective. I'm kind of telling them about like how all this stuff works and what's being changed and um, how their data is being used. And they're just looking at me kind of blankly. And finally, one kid is like, why do I care if it's just helping advertisers serve me an ad for a product that's, you know, I'm more likely to be interested in and it's useful? Why do I care? And, you know, that's not to say, like, you know, if they understood the full picture, they're not going to find some things to be, you know, problematic. But it's a wildly different take than, you know, my mom um, or my grandmother who are like, they know everything. They're listening to everything I say and everything I do. And, you know, I, I'm going to just go dark. Like, so I do think, you know, um, customers are going to kind of take some agency and some control over their data and how it's used. And, um, that's going to change the dynamic quite a bit because it'll be, it'll change from this, like, who has the control to, you know, a permissive relationship, a true relationship between, between brand and consumer. So I expect that to start shaking out in the next few years. Right now it has an icky feeling, like, how do I use my data or, you know, kind of um, make it into an asset, but it'll become normal. I'm I'm one of the tinfoil hat paranoid people. Like I don't want anybody to know anything I do on the internet. Like I don't I don't like it. I uh, it's always really fascinating. Yeah, like how because I definitely know like some you know some uh, some zoomers that are kind of you know definitely in the camp of I don't want any advertisers like to know anything about me that might be like the Brooklyn like sample size that I'm looking at. But um, it is like say fascinating how those kind of attitudes diverge um, within groups, but it is, it's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, but kind of that earlier point that you made about like some people just want workarounds to do the stuff that they've already been doing, even though like actually every piece of headwind and like indication of like where the industry is going is gonna be that you just can't do these things anymore and you're gonna to have to figure out new ways to do business. Um, so familiar with that, like I say, with that conversation. Um, for you guys, I assume that, you know, rather than necessarily with a lot of client conversations, that probably has big impact on like your product development, like the things, that the products that you choose to develop um, and the functionality that you guys kind of choose to build, you know, reflective of marketing conditions now versus maybe where you think things are going to go. Um, so to that point, like, you know, the changing landscape around, you know, uh, you know, data privacy, you know, cookie deprecation, if it ever happens, if, if it ever really actually happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first, what year do you think we might be looking at that? And how do you guys, like I said, try to, you know, read the trends and have those kind of inform the types of products and functionality that you're building for, for customers? I mean, I think we have Okay, maybe maybe I'm like totally naive. I think we have another year of, of cookies. Um, oh, definitely. But I don't think it's going to go 
you know, kind of um, this moving target is going to go eternal because you've got, you know, Google kind of pushing the target back. Obviously, they have a lot of skin in the game and they, you know, are are trying to help um, advertisers adapt while also not, you know, kind of shooting themselves in the foot with their massive um, ad business. Um, but then you have the creepers like Apple who are, you know, kind of doing their own thing um, and and owning the privacy space as a brand. Um, so I don't think Google can get away with, you know, kind of this world of, um, of you know, no cook of, of cookies forever because, you know, Apple's going to be kind of coming up and, and pushing the privacy narrative and creating um, solutions for it for advertisers. So, you know, to, so to answer your question, I think we have probably another year uh, before some of that starts to really, maybe a year and a half till some of that really starts to hurt. Um, and we've, we've got to be like, as advertisers, we've got to be ready. Um, how we look at it is like, we've always felt as a business, like, you know, kind of cookie bait, third party cookie based, you know, targeting and retargeting and um, and especially the whole mechanism of, let's say, display, you know, programmatic display advertising is not um, interesting for us. We feel we've always felt like it wasn't something that we wanted to natively pursue. We understand it's it's part of the mix and we have to help our uh, clients bring the data in from, you know, from their DSP programs and stuff like that. But there's a reason that we never went out and acquired a DSP or built our own. I mean, it's not to us what consumers want and therefore ultimately what's going to give advertisers really, really good return. So we've always kind of like only pursued the channels that we felt like um, fit. I, I referred to this criteria early, earlier, you know, that kind of fit this bill of um, giving advertisers control, giving them really, you know, kind of high return on their dollars, and most importantly, giving them a lot of visibility into what the ad did and, and how it was, you know, kind of reacted to and all that. So for us, it's it's been just sort of like a doubling down on our DNA, um, which has been to help marketers navigate the walled gardens and, you know, a real kind of shift in focus from offering, you know, the, um, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a trade-off, but a shift in focus from, you know, the point solution kind of offering where you're just trying to give advertisers the, you know, kind of latest and greatest and very best bidding and optimization tools within one channel to, you know, being able to help advertisers work across them, the walled gardens, which are no notoriously hard to connect, hard to bring signal in, hard to get data out, you know, hard to look at performance across all of them, let, al let alone execute, you know, kind of in a, in a synchronous way. So we've kind of said, you know, the native publisher tools, the SA360 for managing paid search, the ads manager for, for managing, you know, Facebook ads, you know, they're good for bidding and we can add some value on top of what they can natively do, but none of them can tell a marketer, you know, whether they should be spending more on Google versus Facebook versus Amazon and then how much more or allow them to kind of really, like really test. And that's something that we're, we're uniquely to set up, set up to do in this, you know, kind of, um, time of change. So that's our focus right now. Um, we're not pretending that that there's like a one-stop shop 
tech platform that's going to handle all your advertising. It's not really the point, you know, but we do feel like there's this shift in, in the core of your spend going from, let's say, programmatic, you know, um, display and TV to the core going to walled gardens and those other channels being more of the fringe that you have to be able to connect. I, I've been thinking about, yeah, like that kind of like change in trend, like in, in like my own career again, because, you know, again, like, you know, parallels, I started like, so like on the bidding and buying side, that's how I, you know, first became you know, familiar with Kenshu. And then really like kind of over the, you know, the course, like the last like 10 years of my career, it shifted away from expertise and yet like the best like bidding and optimization tactics and like direct management of, of digital ads being a real differentiator both as like a, a individual skills and, and with companies into yeah more of the being able to connect the dots being able to see the bigger picture and really kind of understand what types of strategic choices you should be making across uh, these again as kind of the the you know automation and optimization capabilities have really kind of become table stakes for for digital buying um, which has been really cool uh, and great for me because I really like the connect the dots kind of conversations a lot, a lot better in any case. Um, but maybe that's a kind of a, a good place to kind of, you know, shift gears a little bit more towards kind of, you know, I'd love to like kind of your POV on your, you know, the CMO. Um, again, you know, I've been doing, you know, B2B marketing, which is, you know, increasingly a really interesting space and presumably building your own team and kind of managing this rebrand. Um, so what are the kind of things that you, you know, look at, you know, for, for your own team, for your marketing organization within Sky and kind of how do you kind of build up their skills uh, and team there? Well, I, I think empowerment is, is a big thing, right? It's, it's a theme in our, in our personal lives, culturally, you know, there's a lot of discussion around that. Um, I think it's, it's huge at work. People who are, feel empowered at work, um, people who feel like they're really good at their jobs um, and, and have kind of a safety net to, to experiment and to grow, they tend to be really loyal. They tend to over-deliver. Um, and, and that's my goal as a team manager is to create an environment where, where, where people feel that way. They feel empowered. Um, it's been a learning curve for me because I was, I was a hands-on marketer um, in a lot of different functions. You know, I, I was a I tried, pretended, tried to be a web developer at one point. So I, I know some, I know how to code a bit. I, um, you know, I did a lot of SEO hand, you know, kind of hand coding SEO stuff, which was, which was a thing in, in the early 2000s. Um, I've been a designer. I went to art school. I write. So I, I can do a lot of the things that I have my team do now. And, you know, to kind of like lean out so that they can lean in um, has been, a, a, you know, a process for me as my team has grown. And, um, and yet it's been the most rewarding thing because, you know, I've really figured out where I'm exclusively needed versus where I need to be an input or, you know, kind of a sounding board or, um, sometimes like a mom, <laughs> I'll be honest, um, to the, to the team here. So, so, um, I'm, you know, over COVID and since COVID and all that stuff where we've had a lot less kind of physical camaraderie and um, you just don't know how people are spending their days, I've, I've tried to, you know, kind of trust the process and, and basically anytime someone new joins the team, that's what I tell them is like the trust is there. Like the, already I'm going to assume that you're totally in control of your world and your domain and, you know, um, let's just kind of like start from there. You don't have to earn it. Um, 
and I, I think it works well. I think in, in marketing, you know, because it's funny, I'm, I'm a marketer, marketing to marketers. I run a marketing team. We use a lot of the same tools that our clients, that we're selling to our clients. Um, and, you know, it, we, we get to be sort of like internally for this company. Um, of course, we're a support function, just like marketing is anywhere. You know, we got to make every other function more successful or we're failing. Um, but we also get to be sort of like that, that strategic, um, I don't know, think tank internally who can reflect what our clients really need and want and, and how they operate. So I try, to, I try to get everybody on the team to embrace that and embody it and kind of own it. That is the nice part, yeah, about like, you know, running, because, you know, I handle like the paid media and some of the marketing for, for Rival for our company. Uh, and it is nice to be able to, to like dog food, like your own thing. I really wish that there was a better term for it than like eating your own dog food. It's not a particularly appetizing turn of phrase. Yeah. Um, but it is nice to like be able to, like, oh, I want to test this thing out. All right, like, let's go try it. Um, I bet you guys, yeah, get access to the cool, cool new features early. Yeah, for you guys, that must be fun. Um, but yeah, so just the, the last couple questions. Um, so, you know, first, I guess, uh, you know, it's the it's the week uh, after Labor Day. The banks here in New York are making people go back. Some agencies are. Are you guys going back into office? Are you staying remote? And Marta, how are you how are you doing the remote versus, you know, in person thing? How's your balance? We are we're a hybrid model. So, you know, people are supposed to come to the office twice a week, assuming they live near one of our offices. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle to get to get people back to the office. Um, I don't think it's a, you know, there's different opinions, especially within our executive management about whether that's a terrible thing or not. Um, look, I think you got to just like as a marketer, you got to be letting your consumers lead the way. I think as as employers, we got to let the market tell us what what they want to do and and how they want to work. And, you know, um, it's it's it can't be opinion-based, right? It's got to be data-based. And if the data is showing that people want to work remote, uh, we're going to have to figure that out, how to how to not lose um, what you gain when you're in person. And, and there's a lot to gain. There's a lot that's been said. I don't need to, you know, repeat all the wisdom that's out there on either side of the debate. Um, I do like the hybrid thing. I'm... Um, I've, I've always, so first of all, I've always had a, a busy personal life. I've always been crazy workaholic on, in some ways and also, you know, kind of had a crazy personal life. I've been raising kids since I was 22 years old. So I've always been multitasking. And, you know, I have to tell you, like working from home really while working a full-time job for the first time in my career gave me something that I didn't have. It gave me a lot more time with my family um, and... It's, it's funny because it's really just those two commuting hours. It's like just shaving those off. And, you know, I thought at first that it was the time. But what I'm realizing now is it's not the time um, that I lose when I commute. Because I can use that time. Well, first of all, it's, it's my, if I drive, it's my, you know, brainstorm, think of all my startup ideas time. And if I commute... It's my listen to the podcast that I read the articles I need to know for the day. Yeah. Um, but it's the it's the energy. Like there's an energy difference. It, it, it hits different now when I go to work and I come home. I'm exhausted as opposed to when I stop work at home and I transition into my evening and I'm like, oh, you know, I, I feel different. So I, I liked the break from the office. I took up a lot of hobbies and that just like did something for me as a person that I didn't know I needed. 
Um, and and now I, I feel like we're j- it's, we just have to figure out the balance because when I am here, with especially with my team, even if we're just not talking about work and we're just hanging out, it's it's so nice and it, it connects us in a way that, you know, human connection is obviously a good thing in its own right with no other, you know, kind of end game. But it also makes you really work better because when people are closer and more comfortable, you know, they they let go of their anxieties or their errors. They let their best ideas out without fear of, you know, kind of feeling dumb. And, and that only happens when you've kind of established a closeness and a safety net. So I hope we can... Hope we can figure out the, the happy medium. Yeah, I was gonna say just the yeah, the people context. I'm in I'm in marketing because I think that it has some of the most interesting people on earth. Like you get people from such like crazy backgrounds that have fun stories. Some of my best friends, like I said, are people like I used to work with. Um, I'm with you. I don't want to commute every day, but yeah, having that kind of like in person like touch point, like getting to know the people that you spend so much of your waking life with is uh, is huge. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mar- Margot, just kind of last question, um, and then and then I'll let you get back to your to your day. Um, just kind of you know one what what, what would your one takeaway um, be for people who listen to this? What's one thing people should be doing differently? Uh, and then if they're interested in finding a little bit uh, more about Sky and they want to connect and, and follow you, where should they do that? One thing they should do differently. So, I mean, I guess, you know, people listening to this are marketers. So we're talking, we're talking marketing advice. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I would say don't, you know, go. It's a very like Zen yoga uh, thing, but, go, you know, go with the flow. Don't, don't fight the flow. So that requires a lot of mindfulness and a lot of awareness of, you know, what is changing about consumerism. And, and you, can, you can answer that very quickly by looking at yourself and kind of paying attention to your own habits. For me, you know, how I've changed the way I shop and the way I engage with brands you know, it's it's subconscious until you realize it. And suddenly you think about the fact that you're kind of always connected or you're always kind of browsing and you're always casually shopping and you're not even, you didn't even intend to be. Um, what does that say about, you know, about how you're getting to that point? And, you know, what can it tell you as a marketer about how to relate to to your end customers? Don't Don't fight it. Um, get curious about it and lean into it. I think that applies. Obviously, there's so much change happening in our world, you know, to your point, even just about kind of office structure and and the, the work habits that we thought were forever. Um, lean into the change and and stay curious. And, um, and I think it's going to make for much better marketing, much more, you know, much less you know, kind of warfare and fighting the system and much more um, kind of harmony between between brands and consumers. So that's my cheesy advice. I like it. And then, yeah, where should people check out Sky or if they want to connect with you guys and see what you're working on? Any, any good places to check you out? Yeah. I mean, anybody who's advertising on any of these walled gardens, right, with, with any significant budget um, and cares about their career should be should – be- be working with Sky, okay? Um, I, I do. I do eat the dog food here, so I can tell you, uh, 
game changing. But um, you can always find us on our website, sky.io. We have a lot of um, really good information on our blog, by the way, just general market education, thought leadership that's free and open. Um, we publish a quarterly trends report that kind of tells you what other advertisers are doing on, on different platforms that could be really interesting. Um, and you can always find us on Instagram at skycommerce, um, Twitter the same. So, and obviously LinkedIn. Um, and myself as well, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me, margo.conrose at sky.io anytime. Um, and would love to, you know, hear more about what, what you're working on and, and what your challenges are. Even, by the way, obviously I'm like selling a bit, but even just um, informationally, we always want to hear from, from what marketers are doing and what they're thinking about. Yeah, I can vouch for the blog personally. I've read it. You guys do have really good, great stuff on there. Again, even I struggle sometimes with keeping up with all the crazy breadth of skills that are required these days to be a good marketer, and it's a great resource for it. So, all right. Well, Margot Conrose, CMO of Sky, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was a really great conversation. I really liked it. It was really yeah, interesting for me. Uh, and thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next time on Scratch. Cheers. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.